This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International. And it's time for Walking Free. And we're back. And yes, if you've been following along in some of the Facebook or uh, other podcasts, I am officially married. Yes, got married March 19th. And uh, Michelle and I have just had an awesome time. Got back from the honeymoon and uh, have been, of course, when we got back, we came back with a head cold. No COVID, praise the Lord. Uh, we were negative, but uh, I came back with a head cold or flu or something for that week. So that wasn't a great start, but the Lord knew. And uh, I still have a bit of a cough, so you may uh, hear that at times. And uh, I may or may not edit it out. We'll just see how that goes. But for the podcast, I thought I would... Uh, we've had some great guests, by the way, and I'm so grateful for the guests. I do have uh, some thoughts I want to continue in First Corinthians and... Starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's where it gets really crazy. And if you know anything about Corinth, I mean, Corinth was a big city, party city. I like how one pastor uh, described it. He said, uh, think of Las Vegas and spring break combined on steroids. That's a pretty good description there. And... We have in 1 Corinthians 5, <coughs> Paul begins and says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Now, this is pretty bad. So, I mean, they're saying this, this isn't just a run-of-the-mill run type of sin or issue. He goes, not even the Gentiles are dealing uh, with this type of stuff. What is it? Well, someone has his father's wife. What does that mean? <coughs> it means that there is a there's a son stepson who's having intimate relations with stepmom and it's continuing that's the word the, the word here is that not just that it's um happened oh a one-time thing no this is something that's ongoing and present right now uh at the time when paul was writing and he tells him in verse two you have become arrogant and and you see that arrogant a word on through chapter 5 and prior in verse 4. And that arrogant being puffed up and uh, prideful. He goes, look, you become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed and that who had done this deed is that time but continuing would be removed from your midst. So this is harsh. Are we supposed to love everybody and, and you know, just accept everybody as they are? Well, yeah. But Paul says, 
he explains this a little bit more, and we'll read it and come back and forth here. He says, for I, on my part, though absent in body. So he wasn't there. He's writing the letter, had this letter delivered, not like we have email, FaceTime, video conferencing, real time. No. He's writing a letter. He's hearing about it, writing a letter. He goes, although I am absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And look, I've already made a judgment on this thing. This isn't that difficult. And I've judged, and that word judge doesn't mean condemn. It means to discern between right or wrong about this situation. And he said about the person doing this. He goes, and I did that just like if I was present. I'm doing it from way out here. I'm writing a letter. It's being delivered. And here it is. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, when you come together as a body, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided. Uh, here's, the, here's the hard part. <coughs> I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I'm making the call, Paul says. And maybe this was because he was the father of the church or his apostolic position. Uh, but he's telling him, look, guys, this wasn't, I mean, this was pretty evident, guys. <coughs> he goes, look, I'm delivering this one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And then he goes in verse 6, your boasting is not good. And they're, it's like you're, they're boasting? What are they boasting about? There's a good question. They're boasting. They're glorifying. Is not good. Now, you know, and I'm, we have to kind of interpret here, read between the lines, and you ask the Lord what you think it means. I'm just uh, coming up with a couple of thoughts. Maybe they're boasting about how they've handled the situation. Maybe they're saying, oh, you know what? Um, we're just going to boast in the fact that we're grace and we're full of love and we're just going to allow this and accept this and it's okay. Man, aren't we, so, aren't we loving? Aren't we grace-filled? It kind of sounds like that's what they're boasting about when you read it. I don't know. I'm guessing Paul said in you know, verse uh, 2, you become arrogant. You're arrogant. You're prideful. And you haven't mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. So he's like, they're there, so they're boasting about something. They're prideful, and the guy is still there in the midst of this issue. They haven't really taken any action, and evidently they're boasting about it. And Paul continues in verse 6, he goes, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Just a little bit. 
It's all it takes. It affects the whole lump of dough. The whole body, that whole assembly is affected by this. In verse 7, he goes, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. And I love this phrase. Just as you are, in fact, un unleavened. Look, Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has made you holy because of the cross. You're unleavened. He goes, clean out that old leaven so that you can operate as the new lump because you are. You're, you're holy and righteous. Clean out that sin, that old, that old leaven, so you can operate in the truth of who you are. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. And they were celebrating Christ. And a lot of when Paul has been talking about how they were really not observing the Lord's Supper very well. There are folks who are hoarding food and getting drunk, and, and you'll, you'll see that in a bit. He goes, let's celebrate, but not with the old leaven, the, 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 not with the old sin, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's how we celebrate sincerity and truth not just sincerity without truth and not truth without sincerity and that's why he said look it should have been morning morning that you have to really get tell this guy to to you you can't be here and do that that's not acceptable And he continues to give us a little bit more context in verse 9. And he said, I wrote you in my letter. And here's another letter he wrote. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, not to mix together um, and, and, and fellowship together with immoral people and he goes, but look, guys, you, I, let me clarify, he said in verse 10. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. That's not what I'm talking about. You're a light in the world. You should be going out into the world, being the light. That's who you are. He goes, so I didn't mean to not associate with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters, plenty of them in Corinth. For then you would have to go out of the world. That's not, that's not what I was talking about. He goes, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any, here it comes, so-called brother, if he is, an immoral person. So someone who is an immoral person, right, who's coming into the assembly and calling themselves a brother. Why? Someone who is covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Those 
people who are those who represent that identity, possibly and most likely not saved, who come into the assembly or the church. He goes, look, those are the ones that I'm asking you not to associate with. Because what they're doing, possibly in that day, I mean, the culture of the church today, we expect goodness and kindness and moral values. And that just, that was brand new in the day in Corinth. That type of love and acceptance and sharing of food and sharing of resources was brand new. And it was inviting. It was intoxicating. And some people were coming in to take advantage some people were coming in. That's why I said they were going in because they were hungry. I mean, you didn't have a grocery store on every corner. If there was no crops, there was no food. If there was a famine, you're gone. And they were coming into the assembly, maybe coming into the celebration of communion, going after the, the food, the unleavened bread and the wine and getting drunk. He goes, I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about the so-called brother who's coming in, who is, in verse 11, who is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with that person. Because for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Don't judge those who are uh, do you not judge those who are within the church? Those who are outside, God judges. And then he goes, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. How about that? I mean, this is, this is really tough stuff. You know, there's, a, there's always people will ask the question, was this a really a believer or not a believer? And it's not really the right question, I don't think. I mean, it sounds like this guy was not to me. He was a so-called brother. But he was in the assembly, taking advantage of the assembly. He was in the church. And God said through Paul, hey, this isn't right. This is going to affect other people in the body, especially if you're boasting about how accepting you are. And allowing this to keep going instead of mourning that you want this person to be connected to their Heavenly Father. You want this person to know the love and forgiveness and the holiness and righteousness they can have in Christ. But you may have to do something that we talk about with those who, uh, who struggle with addictive behavior. You might have to exercise that tough love and just... Make the stand, make the call, and say, this isn't right. You can't be doing that here. We love you. We care about you. We want you back, but this is hurting us, and it's hurting you. And if you're going to do that, you have to leave this place. But the door's open. If you want to know Christ, if you want to know love, you want to know your Heavenly Father who loves you, the door's open. But you can't, we can't accept that type of behavior that's hurting you, it's hurting the other person, and it's hurting everyone else who is witnessing this. 
So you may be in a place where this is happening right now. And you have a call to action here. See, I'm wondering if they were arguing <laughs> when it said um, you become arrogant. And remember what they were arguing about before? I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. I'm of Jesus. So maybe they were arguing. Maybe there was some dissension about this and there was inaction. They're trying to figure out what would Cephas do? And what would Paul do? What would Apollos do? What would Jesus do? WWJD, right? And Paul says, look, I made the judgment on this one. You, you need to remove him from your midst. And Paul even used this phrase that said, I have made the uh, decision to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved or delivered in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now for the unsaved, the destruction of his flesh, Paul uses flesh often in a big way. You know, flesh is really defined by the context, that word. It could simply mean our human body or any type of flesh, depending on the context, the flesh of an animal could be a human body. It could be, as Paul used the word flesh about uh, in Philippians, he talked about his background, his way of life, and how he thought and how he operated before he knew Christ. That's flesh, those fleshly strategies. He even used it when he said that uh, I've crucified the flesh. And as part of that is that sin nature. When we receive Jesus, says we were crucified, that old self, that old nature. So that word picture can be pretty broad. And so maybe for the unsaved context, it's saying to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So he would just realize that that's not going to satisfy. So that his spirit may be delivered. So he can have that old, he can come to believe realizes note that this doesn't work that the way he's living will not satisfy that god offers unconditional love and acceptance and forgiveness and life and that old self can be crucified and gone so that his spirit can be reborn and saved and delivered in the day of the lord jesus now someone may say but can a believer act that way yeah Often in the scripture, you'll see the, the, the writers of these New Testament documents are often talking in black and white. You're saved or not saved. You're delivered or you're not delivered. You're righteous or you're unrighteous. You're holy or you're not holy. You're, you're um, forgiven or you're unforgiven. You're light or you're darkness. You're in Christ or you're in Adam. It's one or the other. And that's true. But there is this messy middle that we all live with, right? There is this sense where that believer can be deceived and sometimes act like the devil, as my grandmother would say. You're acting like the devil. Well, <laughs> that wasn't too far from the truth. 
we can sometimes act. The, the, the lies that we believe can come out in our behavior and we can act contrary to our righteous, holy nature. And if you were to look at us at a point in time, kind of like a balance sheet for a company, there's a point in time for that company, doesn't show the whole picture. It's that point snapshot in time. Well, sometimes we can see a person's life, a snapshot in time. We say, seriously? Are they a believer? Seriously? And that's why we're not really called to judge. We're not called to, uh, uh, in our everyday, to be the fruit inspector. That's the, uh, the Father's job in John 15. He's the, the groundskeeper. We're the branch, and we abide in the vine, who is Jesus. That's our role. That's our job. But when it comes to the church, God says, yeah, we are to really look inward and, and, and make some decisions and judgments, if you will, about ourselves, about our body, the body of believers. And Paul made a hard call on this one. He goes, look, well, it's really not that hard of a call. That's wrong. We can't accept that. And if they're not willing to stop, they got to leave. And Paul on this one said, look, I'm delivering them to the enemy to destroy the flesh. And for the believer, I think Paul has, would say the same thing. You know what? I'm going to deliver them to themselves and to the impact and effect of the enemy lies until there's nothing left for them to try. And for the addict, for the one struggling, that's exactly what they need. Some folks who come to counseling, they're just not ready for counseling because they're not ready to stop trying and, to, and or to stop using. <coughs> Excuse me. They're not ready to stop trying, to stop using. They've got more things to do, more things to perform, to make life work. And sometimes they just need to let it all out until they're ready to come to a point where they say, all right, God, I don't have anything left. I guess I'll turn to you. And the Lord says, well, that's where I wanted you all along is to look to me. Stop all the trying and the trying to make it work and the coping strategies you're using to manage yourself. Rest. Jesus said, come, all of you who labor and are heavy burdened, you come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If your religion or Christianity is hard and heavy and burdensome, you might want to check that. Jesus says, well, mine's easy. My burden's light. Because he, he did all the heavy carrying of the cross. He took your burden. He took the heavy load for you so you could rest in his accomplishment in his finished work. So yeah, sometimes the even for the believer, can believers get addicted 
to alcohol or drugs, absolutely see it all the time when they're deceived. Is it possible they're not saved, they're not living right? That's possible. We're always told to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. But absolutely, I believe it 100%. I see it all the time. Believers can be deceived and they can be in that cycle of addiction or that cycle of performance, trying to do good, make life work, and some are really good at it. And until things break, they're just cruising. The Lord loves us too much to allow us to keep cruising along. He wants you to rest. He wants me to rest. So, are you boasting about something, about how accepting you are, maybe of your own behavior? Maybe of you're believing a lie that there's some pretty obvious things in your life that don't line up with the holiness and righteousness that God has gifted you with right now? Maybe you need to make the hard call for yourself. Because, you see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It just, it, it just seeps in, affects, and not just you in every part of your life, which it does, by the way. It'll affect your, when you start letting things and accepting the lies that bad is good and good is bad. When you start accepting those things, it seeps into your finances, into your relationships, into your serving, into your job. It just seeps all around, and it affects other people. Clean out the old leaven. Ask the Father, what am I, what am I believing, and how am I trying to get my own needs met with whatever it is? Clean it out. Because you are, in fact, as a believer in Jesus Christ, unleavened. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're holy. And the more you realize that and know that, the sooner and the more consistently you will walk in that truth. And celebrate the feast. Celebrate the fact of what Christ has done in your life. And not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, do you have someone you know that you need to talk to? Someone in your immediate family that you've just been accepting and maybe enabling? Is the word we often use. And this is something that, th this isn't easy. This is, off, this is really the messy middle. But ask God for your situation. Am I enabling this situation? Sometimes as counselors, we're talking about this in a counselor debriefing, that we get together and talk in generically about situations and, and, and learn from each other of how to handle things and you know, some counselees, they just want to talk. And they don't want to, they don't want to understand God's solution. They don't want to understand 
how to walk free. They just want to vent. And that's not a bad thing. But there comes a point where are you going to take what you're learning and own it and walk free as who you are in Christ? Or are you going to just talk? We may be, as counselors, enabling their coping. You know, one of the number one flesh strategies is control. And some counselors want to control the counseling session. We may be enabling their coping strategy and not helping them move along to experience the freedom they have in Christ. Well, you ask the Father, Am I enabling myself or someone else? Or am I experiencing life? Am I taking the tough love stance for the person that I love and I'm mourning for, maybe my child, and saying, this needs to happen. I love you too much to let you keep going and to accept this and take, make the call take the stand, whatever the consequences may be. I'm sure that guy wasn't happy. Probably stormed out, calling some people hypocrites, and you're supposed to love us. And I'm sure it might have gone down that way. But they were loving, and so are you. So don't get caught in the trap of just talking and talking and talking and talking and accepting the same old, same old. If God's prompting you now and he's touching your heart, it may be time for you to stop talking and start walking. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gment.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G. 